Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is, God's, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I hope you came here to hear truth. It's, my, it's a new intro that God has just given me about a, two or three weeks ago, I, I, but it's, it's really true. Uh, I used to say something else, and now God's led me to say this, but I really hope that you came here for truth today. And this is what I'm going to be saying until God tells me to say something different. We teach the truth here, not my opinion. We don't follow the masses. We teach the truth of the Word of God. And I really hope, again, that's why you came here, not to hear fables, not to hear false doctrines, not to hear stuff that tickles your ears. I hope you came to hear truth, because truth is what you're going to get at Gospel Saving Church. Anyway, we always start with a word of prayer, ask God for uh, his help in understanding all his things and, and uh, prepare our hearts. So if you guys would please join me, I would appreciate it. Lord, we thank you for another beautiful day, Lord God, for, for even the worst day, Lord, on this earth, the worst possible day on this earth, no matter how much anybody could suffer, Lord, is still better than even one minute in hell, Lord. So thank you, Lord God, for this beautiful day that we each have. Because none of us on this earth have it worse than even one person. One person in hell would give up their even 10 minutes there to come and have our worst day on this earth. So thank you, Lord, for it. Uh, and I'm not saying, Lord, that life is that way. I'm just putting things in perspective, Lord, for us. It's, it's helpful always when we put things in perspective for ourselves, Lord, to help us understand and not get down, because it's real easy to get down about little things in this life when, we, when we're not looking at the bigger picture. So, Lord, we thank you for this new and beautiful day. We ask that you help us to understand your word today, and not only understand your word, but help us to live it, Lord, as, as wisdom is foolishness if we don't apply it to our lives. God, let us be the people that not only hear your word, but hear your word and then do it. For, Lord, this is those that Jesus said are blessed and not the hearers only. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Today we're going to be in Acts 28, 1 through 6. We're in our last chapter of the book of Acts. Again, that's Acts 28, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to give you a moment to get your Bibles there if you'd like, and you can read along with me, or you can just listen along, whatever floats your boat, whatever you'd like to do. I prefer you read along with me, but if you prefer to listen, then you're a better listener, then listen along. I'm going to read the verses. And uh, anyway, here we go. I read them first, and then we teach. Acts 28, 1 through 6. Luke records these things about Paul's journey to Rome. Now, when they had escaped, then they found out that they were on an island that was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome, because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. And when Paul had ga gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. That means it stuck there for a while. Verse 4. So when the natives saw that the creature was hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So last week we studied God's great deliverance for Paul, his travel companions, and the rest of the 200 plus people that were on board of the ship that had just sunk. Previously, the owner, the pilot, and the majority on the ship stupidly, carelessly, and ignorantly put the entire ship and its crew in, in life-threatening danger by continuing a journey in deadly times and in a deadly location. That would be southern and western Mediterranean Sea, where these Euryclidans often hit during a certain time of the year, and that was their time that they were going. But never mind their stupidity and ignorance. Christ had told Paul in Acts 23.11 that he was going to Rome to witness for him there, just as he had in Jerusalem, and which meant that at least Paul, no matter what, 
was going to Rome, no matter what, no matter, uh, he, that means if the ship would have sunk, maybe God would have had a, a, a great fish to come and swallow him and, and bring him to Rome like he did Jonah or whatever, no matter whatever happened, God was getting Paul to Rome alive and that was it. As far as the others on board that were with him, they should have just fallen down at Jesus Christ's feet to worship him because God then granted all of them their lives, partly because of Paul and God's purpose for him to go into Rome. The other part is that, of course, he wanted to know them, like I talked about last week. He wanted them to know his goodness, for it is the goodness of God which turns men to repentance, brings men to repentance. Today, we pick up on Paul's journey and travels to Rome with them all safely on the shore of the island. They ran the ship aground, escaping the killer storm at sea. Read verse 1 again with me, please. Now, when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. What was I saying last week? They didn't know where they were. I said that over and over and over again, yet Luke wrote that they were in the Adriatic Sea, Acts 27, 27. Now, when the 14th night had come, Luke wrote this, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, and, 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 about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, which meant that he thought they were in the Adriatic Sea, yet he also, they also knew they were close to land. Yet again, like I talked about last week, that is impossible. The Adriatic Sea and Malta are nowhere near one another. Just look at a map. Go to Google Maps. The sermon's full of truth. You can verify everything that I tell you today. I hope you do. Please do. I just don't teach my opinions. But these places are 500 miles roughly separated, meaning from the tip of Malta to the tip of the, to the, tip of the Adriatic Sea is about 500 miles. And there's no way all night long they could have been driven up and down 500 miles away on the Adriatic Sea and then all of a sudden end up at Malta. God didn't do teleportation. They didn't know where they were. They didn't even know the island that they were going to stop on. They didn't even know the name of it. Now, does this make the Bible a lie or false? No, it makes human error. Human error is in there. Human mistakes like this in Scripture show me that the Bible actually is 100% accurate and without corruption. Uh, from God's perspective. And why would I say that? Well, Luke must have realized that he was wrong at some point after he wrote what he did here with the mistake of the sea that they were in. Yet, he didn't go back in there to change it. Think of that, because that that revelation hit me while I was doing the section of scripture. Luke had to realize we weren't on the Adriatic Sea. We're in Malta. Malta's not even in anywhere near the Adriatic Sea. Yet, he did not change it. It it. It was an easy fix. Yet he left his human faulty mistake in there. And it's the same thing with the disciples. I don't know if you realize that. Most of the main people that wrote the New Testament of the Bible were Christ's original followers. And yet, even though they were the ones that wrote the New Testament about Jesus Christ and their experiences with him and, how, and, and, and him and how he walked among them, well, in their accounts, the things that they wrote about themselves showed themselves to be complete knuckleheads and that they never expected anyone to treat them in some holy, reverent, godlike way, okay? They never did. They get in trouble with Jesus Christ more than one time. They're faithless, even though they walked with the master Jesus himself. They made lots of mistakes. They even have disputes with one another that cause divisions. Those aren't good at all. That's, that's a huge blunder. That's a huge blunder, yet they did those things. They even, oh, yes, they did. They even sinned. Yes, they even sinned. In fact, to one of Christ's most faithful followers, also one of his big three, Peter, if you remember, Christ himself said, get behind me, Satan. Not that he was calling Peter Satan, but he was showing Peter uh, who he was speaking from. Like that Satan was influencing Peter's heart. As the Bible said, the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. Well, Peter was being allowed to himself to being swayed by the evil one. So hence Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. T- telling him who's, who you're listening to. Because Peter, remember, said, oh, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross, which was, his, which was the monumental mission that Jesus Christ came to earth to fulfill. And yet he got told, get behind me, Satan. And this is one of the, this is one of the three greats of the whole Christian faith. Uh, Peter, James, and John, they call them the big three. They were his big three inner circle. Uh, the fact, you see, 
that the apostles are actually very human and not godlike, or, or and they make mistakes and they and they they sin and they do these things, uh, and they're not godlike and they don't expect anyone to treat them in a special or holy or, or godlike way. And and God or Christ never even commanded anyone to treat his apostles in a special godlike way. Shows me in a huge way that Christianity is God's true religion. The disciples not only are never treated in special godly way, but they go as far as to point to Jesus Christ solely. They were the ones that God gave the whole religion to lead. But yet, they never point to themselves. They always only point to Jesus Christ. Even as we find out you know, from extra-biblical sources, as church history goes, that each one of them, except for John, they tried to kill him, uh, persecute him for the name of Jesus Christ, but they all ended up going to their deaths, not denying or not rejecting that Jesus Christ was the Lord of all, that he was the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, that he was God in the flesh. They, they, they went to their deaths refusing to deny those things. And not only did they do all these things, but they stay humble after Jesus Christ leaves. He, they, they, they serve others. They don't, they're not expecting others to serve them. They led by example. They never flaunted their authority over those beneath them. That is tremendous that is tremendous maybe you don't realize how tremendous that is but every religion outside of christianity true biblical christianity now i'm not talking about i'm not talking about the the offshoots of christianity that that there are so many that you can't even count them where they don't really follow the bible but they say that they're of christianity but they're not Every religion that is created by mankind, including those created by mankind of the Christian perspective, uh, as people claim that the disciples of Christ did with Christianity, even though they did not make the religion, those religious religions portray the main people involved in them as re- revered as godlike. Uh, they're, 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 they're awesome. They're, they're, they're tremendous figures. They're, they're powerful leaders. They're, they're great men. And, and they're like, yeah, look at me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And all their followers treat them as reverent, holy, godlike figures. Uh, same thing when you look at Islam. Nobody that truly worships Allah can talk about the fellow Muhammad that started the religion without saying. Now, I know you've probably heard this before, but if you've ever heard a Muslim talk about Muhammad, they say, oh, yes, Muhammad, and, and peace be upon him. And, and peace be upon him. I, I, he gets some kind of special greet. You can't say the man. It's just a name. He was just a man. He was supposed to be just a man pointing to God. But was he really a man just pointing to God? No. In fact, he was so not just a man pointing to God, because he, he claimed to be the last prophet after Jesus, but, but he actually was more than that. Muslims maybe don't even realize it. Maybe some of them do. But as an outsider looking in, and when I did research on this to find the truth for us today, not just my opinion, Muslims say that they don't worship Muhammad, but here's the thing. Look to France. Right, look to France a few years ago. Well, I don't know, four or five years ago, when when uh, when some company made some uh, cartoon that showed Muhammad in a in a bad lighter. They showed him naked and they showed him doing these things. It, w- it was their right to free speech that they supposedly had there. Yet Muslims were in an outrage. It caused literal war, outbreaks of, of terrible things to happen. And of course, you go back, and if you look at the Islamic religion, they they tell you. Basically, if you blaspheme Muhammad, blaspheme him. Now, now, in Christianity, the only blasphemy is toward God and his son because they're God, and that, that's, that's considered offensive towards God. In Islam, they consider, if you talk bad about Muhammad, they consider that blasphemy. So don't tell me that you don't worship the guy that created the religion when you consider it blasphemy just to talk about the creator's name. You know what? I could say it right now. Peter was a knucklehead. Well, in Islam, if I were in Islam and I said that same thing about Muhammad, who, who created their religion, Peter was the, the, like the top man of all Christianity, I could get killed. 
for saying what I just said now because, oh, don't speak like that against Peter. He was the whole, no, but that's not how Christianity works. The leaders of Christianity were flawed. They sinned, they did things wrong, but they pointed to the Savior who saved mankind from their sins, not to themselves. They said, hey, as we live godly, follow us in the godly ways that we live, but don't look to them in any holy or any special or any godlike way. They made mistakes, just like Luke, who wrote the Adriatic Sea, and it was the Mediterranean Sea. It wasn't a God mistake. It was a human perception of where they thought they were. We know in Scripture they had no idea where they were. Anyway, that just totally shows me that the Bible is God's religion. Buddhism, the same. Buddhists say that they don't worship Buddha or Siddhartha Gautama, I think that's the way he says his last name, their founder, but they do, for they really worship a whole host of deities as gods, but not as personal gods. They consider anyone who's been into nirvana that they would consider to be nirvana an actual deity, and they worship those people as well, too, and they were just the founders, supposedly just pointing to uh, their creator or their entity of being or whatever they claim that created everybody. Crack of garbage because what ended up happening is, again, most all founders, all really founders of religions want to be reverenced as holy, godlike, perfect, awesome beings. Oh, look to me. I'm the one that created Mormon. I'm, I'm Joseph Smith. Or I'm, 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 you know, I'm C.T. Russell for Jehovah Witness. They all are reverenced highly, uh, God-like next to God himself, yet they were just men. And, and the disciples of Christ made mistakes. They were just men too, but they point to Christ. They say, well, you know, we're, we, 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 we screw up. Anyway, the apostles of Jesus put everything and all focus on Jesus Christ himself and nothing on themselves. First real truth that I believe God wanted me to talk to you about today. Moving forward, let's get to some more. Read verse 2. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. So Paul and those that were on board, the now sunken ship, that's probably way off in the sea and probably floating around everywhere, they escape from death at sea and they make it to shore safely. And then once they get there, God gives them all grace amongst the natives at Malta. They are there, they, they first of all, they kindle a fire because they want to welcome them. Number two, they kindle a fire because it's cold. Number three, they kindle a fire because it's raining. Just how cold and rainy was it? I love the second truth that I'm going to share with you today. Remember I said a few weeks ago that they decided to continue the trip from Crete to make it to Rome, but that they were trying to make that trip in late September, early October. And we know that because Luke referenced the, the Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur, which was around that time period, even celebrated that way today. Well, now, that was late September, early October. Now, it's weeks past late September or early October, making it mid-October, early November. So let's just say more towards November, because that's how long they've been at sea battling the killer storm, about two to three weeks. That's, that's how long they've been there. And if you're wondering how cold it was in Malta during this time of the year, think of early November in uh, North Carolina, Virginia, North Africa, depending on where you are in the world and you're listening to this message. Think of those areas because that's the rough latitude that they're located on on the Earth's surface there in Malta. Daily average high and low temps in both Virginia and Malta. Virginia highs, lows, uh, 66 to 58 is the high, which would be the you know middle of the day. And remember when the disciples crashed on shore was in the early morning. So of course it's not going to be 66 or 58 in the high morning. It's going the early morning is usually the coldest part of the day. Lows 50 to 43. That's cold, right? Malta 69 to 57 would be the high and the low for the whole day. And as scripture tell as not scripture, I'm sorry, as my research found, the rainy seasons begin in November, which makes it not a good time, by the way, FYI, if you're gonna go touristing over there, you don't want to go uh, early November. It's not a good time, it's kind of cold. So, so cold and rain are the current forecast of the island of Malta. Did you notice that? The current forecast said that it was 69 to 57 in November. That, that's cold. Again, early morning is gonna be more toward that 57 side, not 69. 
cold and rainy was the forecast of Malta now and in, in around November. And notice our scripture told us about 1900 years ago, cold and rain was the weather in Malta then too when Paul and those with him were shipwrecked in Malta. Interesting how the modern temps and weather patterns of Malta are the same today as they were about 1900 years ago when Paul and his crew and the crew of that ship that's now sunk crashed. Pretty interesting how cold and rainy then, current forecast, cold and rainy. Second bit of truth I want to share with you today. It seems to me that every piece of data that I find from the past and even of today, or that I find from the past today, along with the current data that I find today for today, all lead me to this same conclusion that... Global warming is a farce and a big, fat lie. Please, 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 people, don't just believe the mass media along with the opinion of the masses that global warming is a truth. Global warming is an absolute absurd and unfounded idea. Interesting info for us today that's just been put forth recently. Again, more truth for us today in our truth sermon. Turns out that there are more than 31,000 Recent American scientists to date who have signed a petition challenging the climate change narrative and about nine, over 9,000 of them hold PhDs in their respective fields. That's almost one third. That's pretty extensive. Turns out that even the founder of the Weather Channel, John Coleman, has been looking at recent research and found that there are, that there were that we are not in a global warming crisis, but rather it was a hoax designed to what? To make money. That's why. That's what he's found. All Al Gore, and Al Gore, who was really the one principal founder of this new age global warming trend that we're in now, well, when you examine the evidence on him, go figure that in 2001 when he came into this, you know, to promote this big fat lie of global warming that his net worth was around $2 million, and in 2016, it was estimated that his net worth was $100 million. So was there something to gain from global warming? You better bet your bottom dollar, about $98 million for Mr. Al Gore. Did you know that also in the fact, more truth here, that in 2014, a year that was touted as being the hottest ever in Earth's history, there were record amounts of ice reported in Antarctica, an increase in the Arctic Sea, and a record... <laughs> And record snowfalls across the globe. Anyway, I think you get my point, but please check out the link on this one. I've got it on my Facebook page. I'm going to put it in the notes of the of the sermon that I got, but it's an interesting article. It's an awesome article. It's what I've been saying for years. I, I never even, I, maybe for the first little bit, I was like, wow, man, global warming. But then when I finally researched it and I got into it for myself, I found... Wait a minute, come on. Our mankind who covers just a, just a minute part of the surface of the earth going to change the climate for the whole globe, which is like human beings only inhabit like something like one fiftieth or one hundredth of the whole earth's surface. And you can't tell me, that was the first kind of clue that I got. You can't tell me that people only inhabiting one, like one one hundredth of the whole Earth's surface are going to change the, the 99% that they're not on. I, I just never caught it. And as I continue to look into it, I found that it's a big lie. Check out the facts. Go on the sermon page. It'll be in the notes. Check it out. Back to our sermon. More truth. So, so Paul and all those with him make it safely to shore and alive from the killer storm. And they make them a fire to welcome them, warm them, and keep them, you know, to keep them dry from the rain. And look what happens next. Verse 3. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So the fire is roaring. They're all keeping warm. They're probably maybe under some type of tent or in some kind of, you know, tree area where the trees are kind of you know stopping the rain hopefully I, I would hope to think that they're out of some kind of rain so that the fire could continue to roar and Paul is helping out by the way notice that's a key point there he's helping out by gathering sticks to keep the fire going but those with Paul are not the only ones keeping warm by this fire there's also a venomous snake that was trying to keep warm by the fire and as Paul is throwing some sticks on the fire to keep it going the snake comes up bites Paul, and then stays there on his hand for a little while. And that meant that he was kind of continuing to pump that venom into his veins or into his skin. 
Obviously, it feels that Paul is some kind of threat to him, even though he's not. He's really serving others, yet he bites him. And notice that point that I pointed out that kind of shows my first point. Notice uh, Paul is serving those around him, not expecting those to serve him that are around him. Paul was given by the apostles at this point the right hand of fellowship, which means, and he was called the Apostle Paul. There were only 12 original. Judas killed himself, making 11. They elect Matthias, which makes 12. And then they gave Paul the 13th portion, which means he was the 13th most important person in all the Christian faith. Yet what do we see him doing? We don't see him sitting back, sipping on a latte or an iced tea. We see him gathering sticks to help out others that are around the fire. Anyway, this viper is sitting there attached to Paul's hand, which means that he's continuing to pump this deadly venom into Paul's the entire time. He's affixed to him, which is not good. Could the viper's bite and poison from that bite have killed Paul without treatment? Uh, which they didn't have then. Look at verse 4. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. The natives think, the natives there, they think that the snake bite should kill him. They probably had seen it happen before. Vipers are there on Malta. They're still there to this day. I fact check me. I looked it up. Vipers are still a part of the Maltese uh, you know, lifestyle there. You got to be careful of them. Anyway, but were they right? Should the bite from the, from the viper have killed them? Well, absolutely. For some more truth for you today, out of 3,000 or more snake species that exist in the world, only 600 are venomous and belong to just three categories. And wouldn't you know, rattlesnakes, vipers, copperheads, they're all part of the I might say this wrong for you snake lovers out there. They're all part of the Viperidia family. That's actually the name of the family that the vipers in along with some other snakes. And their venom is deadly and can kill you. Their Their venom kills by damaging the blood components leading to severe bleeding and something called thrombosis, which is a coagulation or clotting of the blood in a part of the circulatory system, which obviously leads to a heart attack, and ultimately renal failure, which is a a common symptom before you pass away, before you die from it, again, if if untreated, without any treatment of any anti-venom, which again, they didn't have of that day and age. And these natives think that Paul must have been a bad dude. In fact, they think He's a murderer. And and such a murderer, so deserving of death for someone he had killed, that the law, uh, this law that I'm going to call, I want to say this, but I'm not that way, because Jesus said the same thing, but the world knows this law as karma. But Jesus Christ affirmed this law, not as karma, which is a kind of a spiritualistic Eastern kind of religion thing. He actually affirmed this idea law as what he called reap what you sow. Now, whatever, what he's saying there, whatever man sows is whatever man will reap. Whatever you do is going to come back on you. Basic idea. If you do evil, evil's going to come upon you. If you do good, good things are going to happen to you. And Job's friends, this is not a new idea. Job, what people consider it to be the oldest book of the Bible, Job's friends thought the same of him. God allowed Satan to strike Job pretty hard, his family and wealth first, then his health, causing Job to pretty much be destroyed. And his so-called friends come and pay him a visit to kind of help him get through the situation and then they ended up uh well for most of the book of job it's kind of sad because they end up attacking him uh because they just assumed because of what the way he was that he must have been a rank rotten and horrible sinner to have such greatly terrible things happen to him just just one again i've read the book of job many times and it's very it's a very sad book to read but just one uh, a fellow named eliaphaz a a temanite uh to job says this job 4 7 He says, remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? That was his perception. Job, this is only happening to you because you must be unrighteous. You have got to be 
steeped in sin because there's no, I've never met anybody to suffer like you and had all the bad things happen to you like you have if they've been a righteous person. Boy, they they hadn't... Uh, the time hadn't, must not have been very old at that time, because I'll tell you, there's a lot of righteous people that suffered greatly in the Bible and, and that didn't fit the reap what you sow kind of ideal, but they hadn't probably seen them yet. Again, this the earth wasn't that old then. But anyway, there's a very common idea that most would affirm even today. It's like when people see this kind of situation, human nature kicks in in our brains, and, we are, and we're all guilty. I've been guilty. I'm guilty of it for myself. Uh, when bad things happen to me, when I see bad things happen to other people, we automatically think, what did I do wrong in order for this crap to be happening to me? I'm telling you, you guys have all thought the same thing about yourself, let alone somebody else out there that you're seeing going through a terrible situation. You think it's automatic. It's like your brain goes, oh, evil, evil. Yeah, uh, so. Karma. You know, it's, it's like we're just wired that way. It, it's, it, it's, it's bad, but, but it's like we're automatically wired that way. Job's friends were wrong about him, as God attested in the beginning of the second chapter of the book. Remember, and I just want to point this out because uh, Job, book of Job is kind of very close to me. It's kind of very personal to me. But he, uh, God attests to Job in, in Job 2.3, and he says this upon Job that shows us that Job was not a sinner, a rank sinner, Deserving of what he received, he, he, God had a purpose. We don't really know why. But anyway, Job 2.3 says this. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on all the earth? Well, that's not saying too much so far. I mean, yeah, he's kind of a you know, unique fellow. That, that's, that's not saying so much so far. But then he goes on to say, a blameless, Now, this is coming from the mouth of God now. A blameless and upright man... One who fears God and shuns evil or shuns evil or gets far away from evil. So he, he's an upright, and this is coming from God's mouth. And then he goes on to say, after, after Satan had attacked his, his wealth and his family, pretty much wiping him out, and he still holds fast to his integrity, God says, although you incited me against him to destroy him, and God just showed me this this time through the book of Job, as I'm actually in it right now. God says this, you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. What does that tell you? God just said, and I never saw that the previous years I've read the book of Job. I'm usually reading the book Bible about once a year since I've been saved. And I had never seen this, but this one time, of course, because God knew he was going to have me put it in my sermon. Without cause means that there's no reason that he deserved to have all the bad crap that you just did happen to him. That's God. That's God talking about Job. There's nothing Job did wrong. No cause. There's nothing Job did wrong that you should have done that to him. Nothing. And so God attests. He's a holy guy. Obviously, he's not holy in Christ. Christ wasn't them. But Job was a holy guy, feared God, loved the Lord, right? So in Job's case, this reap what you sow karma idea does not hold true because Things were not with him as they seemed. This will be our next bit of hard truth here for us. What about Paul? Were these natives right about him? Was he a murderous sinner whose punishment was missed by the sea? Were things like they seemed with them, you know, with him to them? Were they as they seemed? Look at verses 5 and 6, closing out our verses for today. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Nothing yet, Luke tells us, that he didn't exhibit any of the effects of the deadly snake venom. Uh, fact check here, total, total truth, pain and local bleeding usually can begin within the first few minutes after this viper's bite. So he's not innocent in their eyes just yet. They're looking on and he's, nothing's happened and they're kind of, I'm sure they're shocked. Verse 6, however, he's not out of the water yet in their eyes. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. And that would be obviously because of the clotting and all that stuff and the heart attack that could happen as we talked about earlier. So as they're sitting there keeping themselves warm, they continue to wait for symptoms of the snake bite to appear. Um, but do they? The rest of verse 6. But after they had looked for a long time, so that we're talking not just a minute or two, after a long time, they're sitting there probably all the whole morning, hours in front of this fire, waiting for the rain to subside, waiting for you know, the day to get a little warmer. 
after they looked and they saw nothing for a whole time, they changed their minds and said that he must be a god. Wow, <laughs> talk about a turnaround. They, they conclude that he can't be human because there's no way this, this snake bite couldn't have killed him, so he must be a deity. Uh, once the horrible effects of the snake bite don't appear, they were forced to change their minds about Paul, realizing that he wasn't evil or a murderer, rather that he was good, G- good like a god. And although they go overboard in their diagnosis of him being good, again, good luck of God, they do realize that they're wrong and they do realize, hey, things here aren't as what they seem. They didn't realize that the reason Paul was, and we're going to get to that in just a second uh, or just a minute here, they didn't realize why they thought he was like a God. Uh, He wasn't like a God. He he was kind of, you know, standing with God, you know. And so then anyway, they stopped thinking that he's an evil man and they start realizing that he's not what we think. This is the situation is not what it seems. They had probably, again, seen this event happen before, and, and after the bite of this deadly snake, they had seen people get sick with horrible symptoms and then die, but not Paul. Why didn't Paul get sick and die as he should have by the normal natural law of how things work when a deadly snake bites someone, and then they don't go for treatment? Again, they had no treatment. Now, there's only a tiny percentage of people that actually die from venomous snake bites, and that's because, though, of our scientific research and antivenoms. Back then, they didn't have that. So why didn't Paul get taken out? Well, because, more truth for us today, things were not as they seem, because he was God's man. See, he was surrendered to Jesus Christ, and he was serving Jesus Christ with all his life. And for people like Paul, as per how he stood with God in Christ, Jesus Christ promised, Mark 16, 15 through 18, he says this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe. And now this was Paul. He was talking about Paul here. This would have been the position that Paul had with God and Christ. He says, For these types of people, in my name, they will, one, cast out demons, two, speak with new, ang- uh, speak with new tongues, three, they will take up serpents, which is exactly what happened to Paul here. It's, it's serpent bit him, and he, he was poisoned. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Not 100% sure if Paul actually had this text yet in Mark. Like, not so sure that Mark had written it for Peter at this point, for Mark was Peter's you know, disciple. But, but Paul knew the one, that he was standing of the one that was of his word. And remember, the one that was of his word, of an infinity percent, which was Jesus Christ, said in Acts 23, 11, he says to Paul, you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome, Paul. That's it. I, it doesn't matter. You're going to witness of me there, same as you did in Jerusalem. And Paul knew that he was the—he knew the one that was his word, and, and nothing was going to stop him from going to Rome. Period. The end. Nothing. Whether, whether a deadly snake bite or or a sunken ship or whatever, even though the snake bite was untreated. So whether Paul knew of Mark sixteen fifteen or not, he knew that Jesus Christ was bringing him to Rome, and nothing. And I mean nothing, even a poisonous snake bite was going to stop him from going there alive. Period. The end. That's just the way it is. Poisonous snake bite up against the promise of God? Nothing. Another bit of truth here, though. Should God's kids take up, uh, take Mark uh, 16, especially specifically verse 18, to mean that Christ's followers should go out of their way to pick up deadly serpents. Remember, 1618 Mark says they will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it'll by no means hurt them. So should that does that mean that we should go out of our way if we're, we're a Christ follower and, and we should go and we should purposely, you know, God, I know you're going to protect me. I'm going to put rat poison in this cup of coffee and I'm going to drink it and you're going to keep me safe. And that's going to show that I'm of you. Or should we go out and purposely pick up snakes? Just so we know, oh, they're going to buy me? I don't care, God. You said in your word that that's going to happen. Well, another bit of truth for you today. Should we do that? Absolutely not. And why should we not do that? Because common sense tells us, and you don't have to research this one. It's common sense, okay? This is a common sense fact of this world and of Christ. That is not called trusting in God. That's called tempting God. Remember what Satan did to Jesus 
as he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, he had come, as Luke tells us, all throughout that time and tested Jesus, all throughout that 40 days and 40 nights. But at the end, Satan comes with three last big, huge tests, right? Just uh, just jump off this cliff, Jesus. And, you know, God's, God's promise to you is that the angels won't let you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, I, get behind me, Satan, I shall not tempt the Lord my God. So Jesus wouldn't even, as a promise of God to his children, that no harm would come to them, Jesus wouldn't tempt God by jumping off that cliff or jumping off that temple. I think it was off the temple, uh, as I remember correctly. Uh, he would not jump off the temple because he considered that tempting God, even though God's word through David the prophet said that if anyone, that the angels will take care of all those that really belong to God and that the angels won't let their foot be dashed against the stone. Understand, it's the same principle. Just because God said that nothing would hurt us if we drank poison or or that venomous snake bites wouldn't hurt us doesn't mean that we should go out of our way to do that. Paul was not going out of his way to get this snake to bite him. He was being a godly servant. Jesus Christ said, I came to serve you, now you serve one another. Paul was just following what Jesus Christ said. The greatest of all is the greatest servant of all. Not the one who sits there sipping his latte and sipping his iced tea and expecting other people to serve him. So this is truth. It's tempting God when you do something like that, not being holding to one of God's promises. Please, people. Uh, Instances have shown there's been people out there that have done this stupid thing and held snakes and and then they've gotten bitten and, and Many of them lost limbs, uh, and they're, they're thankful that they didn't lose their lives, but the snake's bite was around their hand and fingers so that all that happened was a finger got infected and, you know, like fell off. And, but there have been people that actually died from holding snakes. So Christians, please use common sense and let the Word of God lead you and guide you, not just whatever you think. You can't just tempt God and get away with it. Well, you know, God, because you're not going to allow me to be, to be killed, I'm going to step out here in front of this semi. And he's doing 70, but that's all right, God. Hey, angels will protect me, and they won't even, they won't even allow that semi to hit me. The next thing you know, you're going to be standing in front of God, and God's going to do a face palm. He's going go, to be sitting there with his, his face in a palm going, What are you thinking? Well, God, you said you're a knucklehead like Peter, you dummy. You had a lot of work for me down there. It's it's ridiculous. Please, common sense. (laughs) In closing, we covered quite a few different ideas today. We covered Christianity being the true religion of of the reasons of uh, the disciples of Christ, the main ones to have the religion, to, to, to have it and to take it forward were those that never, ever, 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 ever expected anyone to treat them in a reverent, holy, godly way, yet rather they gave their lives in servitude toward others. They gave their lives and sacrificed for Jesus Christ, dying because they wouldn't deny who he said he was. That shows me Christianity is the true religion of God, number one. There's a lot of other reasons, but that's one of them. Uh, But number two, please, guys, global warming is a farce and a lie, and it's the masses, and it's a moneymaker, and there's been movies made about it, and people have bankrolled off of this idea, uh, bankrolled, excuse me, off of this idea for such a long time, but it's a lie. Please, I'm not saying that we should abuse our earth But I'm not going to stand up here and say, go hug trees either. God says in his word, just be responsible to take care of what you have. But don't be all worried about global warming. Christians, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus Christ out there, you have greater concerns. You should have greater concerns than global warming. And that greater concern should be the soul of your mother or father that's not saved. The soul of your brother or sister. The soul of your neighbor that isn't saved. Are you serving the Lord in the capacity that he wants you to serve in? These are the things that you should be concerned concerned about and focused about not oh no the world is glowing getting warmer and we're all going to die someday or the earth's surface is going to be decreased by x amount get it it's a lie it's a farce it's a lie three dangerous snake bites and the results of them we talked about that as more truth Uh, number four things not always being what they seem to be job paul getting bit by the snake five whether or not a follower of Christ should be should purposely handle poisonous snake bites because of what Jesus Christ said in Mark 16. Common sense, word of God, don't tempt God. Yes, 
We covered a lot of different ideas and topics today, but there was one thing that these different ideas had in common. Kind of the title of the sermon, you know, it's the whole idea we've had throughout the whole sermon. That's the fact that they were all truth. Fact check me, please. I love it. Let me know. I want your I want your comment on me. There's SoundCloud has comments. Call me, email me. My all my contact info is there. Fact check me. I dare you. But it's all truth. Remember the intro of the message I talked about why you came today, why you listened today. And I was hoping that it was because you loved truth. Well, some real truths is the title of the message, and real truth is what I covered today. I Again, I don't just teach my own ideas. I don't just teach my own uh, stories because I have an agenda to fulfill. I love truth. But do you love truth? Do you really love truth? Before you answer that question, I want to throw a little stipulation in there. Not really little. It's kind of big. Uh, but I want to throw this stipulation in there. Do you love truth even when it hurts and even when it goes against what you may think is truth? Those are big ones. Most people say that they love truth, but the only truth they say they love once they admit it is their own truth or what's right in their own eyes, which <laughs> I got news for you. That doesn't make it real truth anymore. That makes it your subjective opinion. Not objective truth. Real truth is truth, and it usually hurts. And it usually goes against the things that we believe. I remember myself about 19 years ago coming into the faith of Christ, and I was an atheist. And I had, you know, some priest presuppositions, some preconceptions about the Christianity and from what I had heard others and what I had seen from others. But once I started reading the Bible for myself as I was seeking God and, and getting to know God and wanting to know God and wanting God to reveal himself to me. Kind of how has God wants you to do that today? God started showing me things. And as I kept reading, I was like, wow, well, I always thought, eh, you know, and, and God, but you say, eh, oh, wow. And then I had, a, I had a kind of a crossroads. Well, do I believe what I've believed for all these years when Obviously, the Word of God says this, and it says that I'm wrong. Wow. Well, I had a crossroads, and well, I love, but I love Jesus, and so you know, I said, so you know what? I gotta believe Jesus on this. I, I can't believe the way I was thinking those false ways. Those are just subjective. Those were me. That's not real truth. That was just my opinions. I gotta believe what God says, because you know what? This Word of God, man, it's something else. So, so do you believe truth even when it hurts and even when it goes against what you say? Again, not your subjective opinion, but objective truth. Uh, again, real truth usually hurts. It goes against what you believe, especially when it comes to the truth about God and what the Bible says. I'm going to give you some examples here of some real truth from the Bible. And you have to kind of, you know, you guys sitting out there listening online, wherever you're on your iPhone or your Android or when you're sitting in front of your computer, or those of you in my home today, uh, I want you guys to be thinking about these things as I talk about them because these are some conversations, some real life conversations that I actually had within the past couple few weeks of real truth that the Bible said something was true. And yet the person that I was talking to was, well, you know, they weren't 100% sure, even though they said they were Christians, and yet they were supposed to be believing in the Bible. So I have a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine. I've done ministry with him a lot in the past. And he made a comment. We were talking. We were at a you know, little sit-down, and I had to give him a, a book back anyway. But he, we were having this conversation. And he made the comment about how he has this really good friend that's an ex-military, you know, it's a military guy, but he's not obviously enlisted anymore. I always try to almost make the mistake ex-military. I realize, excuse me, military, there's no ex-military period at the end. It's all military and you're just retired military. So excuse me for my verbiage there. But anyway, his friend here who was retired military, but he had seen a lot of bad things in Korea or uh, in uh, Vietnam and he had come back and had a uh, had a rough life and and my, my my brother says oh man this man loves jesus and and you know he, he loves jesus with all his heart but doggone he's an alcoholic and i was like huh now and i'm not going to get there just yet i'm going to point out my second point 
which has the it's the same kind of thing. It's the, it lines up with the same idea in the Bible. But his idea was this person was saved, and if they were to die, they were going to go to heaven and be with God forever. Yet they practiced. They were an alcoholic, or they practiced drunkenness, is what the Bible would say. Number two question. So keep that in your mind. That's what my friend thought. Question two. I have a friend that I also work with, and we were listening to a little uh, ministry on the radio one day. We were working last week, and, and the subject came up about homosexuality and these people, you know, going to church and really loving Jesus and what, you know, what were these people thinking and what was the truth and so on and so on. So I asked this fellow, I said, hey, just want to know, you know, so-and-so, uh, what do you think? Can somebody be truly saved and born again and on their way to heaven, you know, for let's say 10 years? but they still practice homosexuality as a lifestyle. Because a lot of people believe this. And that is a very common ideal in our world today. I mean, the majority, actually, of all Christians would say, man, if that person loves Jesus and they profess Jesus and they read their Bible and they, they go to church, it doesn't matter. If they're homosexual, then they're saved and they're going to heaven. And my stance was, what are you, you know, kind of what are you guys thinking what about the Word of God? It's important to note that Jesus Christ came really hard down on those religious Pharisees who they would do a lot of outward things, but they did a lot of outward things by man's traditions to look holy, but by their man's traditions, their man's, which would be their man's opinions, their man's truths, their own truths, their, their subjective truths, they made, Jesus said, the word of God to no effect, which means that they believed their own truths were stronger and greater than the truths of God. Well, here's what God has to say about somebody that's, that believes themselves really saved, but they practice alcoholism or they're an alcoholic. Uh, and then somebody that's a homosexual that says, I'm saved, I love Jesus, but, I, but I'm a homosexual and I've been married and I, you know, I live with my partner 10 years. Uh, doesn't matter. 1 Corinthians 6... 9 and 10. Paul's very clear. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Yet, Many today, not only of others, even of themselves, believe their own truth, their subjective truth, that others, even themselves, are saved, yet they practice adultery. They practice fornication. Adultery would be sex outside of marriage, or being married, but committing adultery with another man or woman. That they're, so they're still married, and then are having sex, and having a relationship outside of their marriage. Fornication is when you go to live together with somebody and you're not just living together, it's friends with benefits. There's an old saying that I used to say years ago. I, don't, I haven't said that in a long time, but fornication is obviously friends with benefits. You're not married and you're having sex outside of marriage. Many are drunkards. Many hit the bottle. I hit the streets for years on end in Dallas. And all the people, countless people, countless people, Oh, stumbling drunk out of the bar. Oh, 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 I love Jesus. Breath smelling alcohol. You could smell the pot on them. I love Jesus. And homosexuality. Um, there's, there, the, the second largest church in the world, I believe, if not the first largest church in the world, is right here in Texas. It's called the Cathedral of Hope. And they believe themselves to be Christians, and it's an openly LBGT, QRS, whatever they say, all their you know, homosexual icons and things they have, their identities, and they're openly of that. And that's what they do. And yet they I love Jesus, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm saved. How can their truths, and if that's you, I'm going to challenge you with this too, how can your truths be correct when God's word is so clear in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and other sections too, even God making one man for one woman, even the fact that man and woman's main thing to do in this world is in Genesis, I, I, I argued this in a sermon that I taught years ago, was to procreate. Well, two women can't procreate. Two men 
can't procreate. Even if you take away what, what 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, you think it doesn't mean, because there's a whole book written about why that verse is not about homosexuals being, homosexuals being wrong, and that's just another word, and it meant this. Even if you go, even if you forget that, and you go to God's originals, hey, go for it and multiply and fill the earth. How do two men multiply and fill the earth? How do two women multiply and fill the whole earth? So and I'm not claiming that homosexuality is a greater sin than, again, than being a drunkard or being a fornicator. But what I'm saying is, is the Word of God calls these things sin and says that those that practice them, no matter what they say in themselves and in their own minds and in their mouths, they're not going to go to heaven and be there forever when they die. You see, to me... And, and if you consider yourself to be a true Christian, if God's word says something, then it is truth. And it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I may have a presupposition or, or you know, in my mind I may think, you know, is true. It doesn't matter. If God's word says that I'm wrong. And so are you. And, and if you practice those things and you believe yourself to be saved, well, the Bible's very clear you're not. It's, it's, it, if you were to die right now, you're not going to get into heaven. That's just, this is it. That's what the Bible says. Another huge truth, and this will be the last one that I get, and, and I'm going to close this out. Most all people in this world, especially in America, believe that all people are going to go to heaven and stay there when they die. And it doesn't matter what religion they are or what they believe in, whether they're an atheist or a Buddhist or a Muslim or Jehovah Witness or Mormon or whatever, everybody's going to go to heaven when they die. Well, maybe not the really, really bad murderous guys, you know, have those because we judge, we judge righteousness upon our own level, not God's level. But almost everybody is going to go to heaven when they die. That is the truth that the world believes, and I've even had many people that call themselves Christians tell me that they believe that, that fact, that, I just, that, that idea that I just stated there. But what does it say in God's Word? What does the Bible say on the truth on this subject? What is the objective God truth? Well, Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives sermon Matthew 7, 13, 14 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Now, now wide in destruction, that's not heaven. Ouch. That, that's hell. And there are many who go in by it, 14, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Is everybody going to go to heaven when they die, no matter what they believe and whatever they practice? Well, Jesus Christ just said no. That, in fact, the many that you think are, they're going to be going to hell, and, and there's only a few that are going to be going to heaven. And, and just how narrow is that road? How narrow is that gate that only few find it? Well, Jesus Christ narrows it down, John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No, no man comes to the Father, no one, excuse me, comes to the Father except through me. So the masses, even those who say that they're Christians, believe as truth that all or, or most all are saved and are going to go to heaven when they die, no matter what religion they believe or who they think will save them. And the Bible says that there are only a few that are saved. Jesus Christ, again, narrowing that number to a very small amount by saying that salvation is only given through him. Who has the real truth? The masses? Or Jesus Christ in the Bible? Well, I'll tell you this right now, and I'll be bold about this, and I'll say this. Well, I put my money on, on Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come, and who can be verified as real objective truth through his amazing, accurate word, the Bible, which has been scrutinized and re-scrutinized to find flaws and errors than the truth that it carries, and yet it stands proudly as victorious. Other than the human errors that are made in like locations like Luke just did or a number out of place, a man recorded a number wrong from one Leviticus book to, you know, to a Chronicles book, other than a, other than a, a few of those man-made things that are in there, and the people were perceiving them the wrong way. God's word stands victorious. It's got prophecy. It's got archaeology. 
It has Christ and, and the people that loved him dying for him, and that was the only reason they died. They had nothing to gain or lose from their death for him. They just died for him because he revealed himself to him. Uh, that's for me, but what's your standard of truth? Is it yourself, the masses, or is it Jesus Christ and the Bible? Upon the truths that I talked about today, especially in the last part of this message, would you say that you believe that you're truly saved or not? That's a question for you. And if you'd say saved, then by whose truths would you be saved? Yours or the Bible or Jesus Christ? It's a very important question there. If you would say saved, then whose truths would you be saved by? Yours or Jesus Christ in the Bible? Are you saved and have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because you have come and are continuing to come through Him, as He said, or just because you have a belief in Him? Or you have a belief in Him that He's one of the many ways that people can be saved? If you're not coming through Him and through Him alone today, and you don't even believe Him to be the only way to heaven, as Jesus Christ said, making Him a liar, then Jesus says you don't belong to Him and that you're not following him. And that's his words, not mine. Again, this is not subjective truth from me. This is objective truth, ultimate truth from the Bible. If you'd say that you are coming through him, then please answer this question. What does he say that it means to come through him for salvation? Most will answer that it means to believe in him. <laughs> but that actually is only partially right. God put that out there. He wanted to see who was going to really seek. Because, see, belief in him, uh, what kind of belief does it do, you know, make someone saved? Can you explain a saving belief versus other beliefs? The, the Bible says that even the demons believe in him and they tremble. And, and we know scripture says that no, there's not, not one demon that's going to convert. They're not, they're not convert. <laughs> they, they've made their bed. They've made their lot. They're sticking with it. They're following the evil, the rebellion against God, and that's just it. So what differs from your belief versus their belief? Can you explain a saving belief, belief versus a belief that the demons have? Because most people just have a belief in Jesus Christ as they believe in other things. The sun, the moon, the stars, I have a car, you know. I have this, I have a that, oh, this thing exists, uh, Bill Gates is a millionaire, Donald Trump is the President of the United States of America, uh, and they believe, oh, you know, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, he's my Lord and Savior, but, you know, he's only one way. You know, all the good Muslims and all the good Buddhists and all the good Hindus and all the good Sikhs and all the good atheists, they're going to go to heaven too, which means that you call Jesus Christ a liar in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. What do you believe? Can you even explain a saving belief in Jesus Christ versus the ones that the demons have? Uh, so I do hope that you have the saving belief in Jesus Christ, that you that are listening to me out there, the one that comes through him, and that you don't just believe in him as the demons do. Because not everyone's going to heaven when they die. Only a few, as Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 7, and you will only be saved if you come through him and, and stay having a coming through relationship, you know, through him to God until you die. That, that's the only way you're going to make it. Uh, the belief that he talked about throughout his whole ministry. I, I want you, please, as I did, this is how God revealed this to me. Objective truth, truth, like hard hitting, change my heart, change my mind, truth. Please seek the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. Please. And I would encourage you especially to seek him in his word in Matthew through John. And those are known as the Gospels, right? And I ask and I pray that you will. I ask that you ask him to reveal this saving belief to you so that you can be born again. John 3, Jesus says, unless someone be born again, they cannot and will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And a belief as the demons have, that's not going to get you born again. A belief that hey, he's one road to the many roads that lead to heaven, that's not one that's going to get you to heaven either. O only one that comes through him 
And if you don't know what that is, and even if you think you do, I pray and I encourage that you get in the Word of God and seek His face and say, God, can you show me what a belief that goes through Jesus Christ to you means? Uh, Please, 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 please. If you do these things, if you get into the Word, if you seek His face, if you ask Him, then His Word objectively, not subjectively via what I say, His Word says that if you do that, again, it's not my opinion, that He'll reveal Himself to you. He'll tell you these things personally, and He'll help you come to that saving belief. I hope, and now I'm going to pray that you do. Lord, thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much, Lord, for the truth that you've shared with us in this message today. I pray, dear God, right now that, Lord, for those that do have the saving belief, I pray that they would continue to hold to that saving belief, Lord God, the saving belief that goes through in Jesus Christ to you. Please, God, please, 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 please help us to endure all those that listen and all those that are your sincere, earnest followers all throughout the whole world, Lord God. I pray that they, we would cling to the saving belief of Jesus Christ. Father God, for those that don't know or those that know for sure they've always thought that Jesus Christ was just one of the ways to heaven, which again, Lord, which is maybe a shock to them today. Real truth hurts usually, goes against what we think. Lord, if you believe that there's other ways to heaven, Lord God, then you're not, then Jesus Christ is not the only way, and that makes him a liar. John 14, 6, that makes him a liar. And yet if they profess themselves to be yours, God, they just found out that they're calling Jesus Christ a liar. Please, Lord, I... I Hit them upside the head with that, Lord, and help them to realize that they're wrong and help them to repent and and to get into your word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Lord God, to seek your face, to ask you to, 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 to look in your word, to see what your word says, and not just believe what they want to believe, Lord, but look at the objective truths of your word and then surrender to those truths and then seek your face that you would bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the one that goes through him. Father, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. And I ask all these things, and I pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.